Hello, everyone. Welcome to our brand new podcast show for the love of books featuring indie and small press authors who bravely navigate the treacherous waters of independent publishing. I will be your host, Emma, and we're going to have a blast as we move forward to opening up the USA on July 4th. It is my pleasure to present to you author Julianne Saisum. Julianne fills Michigan's small towns with characters, love, laughs, and curses. And Julianne will tell us how many books has she penned, a total of? Nine have been published. I'm working on the 10th one right now. Okay, so how are you today? I'm well, how are you? Good, I'm good. So my first question is, how has your fascinating career impacted your writing? Well, arts and sciences um, were my love at the college where I was the dean. And uh, I've always written, even as a little girl, I, I wrote. Uh, I started my first novel when I was 16. But my, uh, my college career was in English languages and literature, of course, <laughs> and uh, went on into my doctorate in higher education. So I've always been in love with learning and a part of learning is the research that I do for my writing, the Michigan small town research. And so what was your first novel about? The first novel is called Elephant in the Room and it's the first one in a series of four. I, I, I thought it was going to be a trilogy, but it I couldn't finish it in three, so it's four. So it's four. <laughs> it's a four-book trilogy. A four-book trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I like that. Is, <laughs> it is loose. Pardon me? It's a good thing that you were the dean of mathematics. <laughs> right. Mathematics. Mathematics. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, Elephant in the Room is loosely based on my grandmother's life. It's set a little bit further back in time than, than when she was born and lived. But the structure of it, the, um, the major events of those four books is based on my grandmother's life. Toned down just a little bit, because if I really wrote it the way that it was, nobody would believe it. They would say, this is a fantasy. <laughs> so what decade are we talking about? This starts, uh, the book starts in 1890. In 1890. And, which is at the peak of the lumber boom in, in Michigan, especially central northern Michigan. You know, it's just heading up to the top there and it's about ready to take a decline, you know, as the white, Michigan white pines and the hardwoods were all being uh, chopped down. So uh, Hersey, Michigan, Big Rapids, Michigan. Reeds I know this town. Those areas are where I set that series of books and it deals with the lumber boom and the kinds of issues that women struggled with during the 1890s and 1900s and all of those. So, so Julie, what enticed you to that specific area? I am well familiar. My parents live in Big Rapids and my oh, brother wow. in Paris. My brother lives in Paris, right in between Reeds. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
I'm familiar. I love that area. Oh my gosh, that's too funny. I don't want to. I'm going to tell you a little secret. Mm -hmm. My sister and I sang in a band. Uh huh. Back went before either one of us got married, and we uh -huh. sang at the Paris bar. There was a bar in Paris. You're yes. kidding me. No. <laughs> No, back when I was 18, 19, there was a bar in Paris and Jackie and I sang there. So you grew up in that area? No, we grew up all over the United States and Canada, but I was born in Big Rapids and oh. so was my sister Jackie. And we kept coming back to the Hersey area uh, when we would go off dad worked gas conversion and he was a gypsy so we would go to Baltimore for six months and then we'd come back mm -hmm. and then we'd go to Connecticut for six months or eight months and we'd come back sometimes we'd go for three months and then we would come back to Hersey whoa what a coincidence I know <laughs> I love that area Paris I remember springtime in Paris the canton yeah. dancers and all that, yeah, it's all <laughs> gone, but the fish yeah. ponds are still there. Yes. And I, I like Reed City as well. Yep. I too said my one of my stories in that area. Really? Yes, I did. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I want to read it. I need oh, to get yeah. it. It's in my book number two, but this is about you, but I'll tell you about it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. So are your heroes anything like you? Is there a part of you in your heroes? You know what? That's an interesting question because people assume that whatever, I write a lot about women, strong women, and I, that's probably who I am. I'm a pretty strong woman now. I wasn't a long time ago. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, I'm a product of my environment, but I think that the answer to that question is that there are bits and pieces of me in many characters, and I tell friends and relatives, be careful how they talk around me, because I will use them <laughs> in my characters, and I will okay. pull bits from my brother and from friends and and just stick them in, embed them in different characters. Yeah, so they I are me, but they have little pieces. Yep, I do the same thing. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about your book. That's your newest release, Damselfly. Yes. It was yes. published in January of 2021. Right. And let me first read a review. This novel okay. is an excellent, timely read of historical fiction. It's amazing to read since we've experienced the COVID pandemic. I've been so into the characters of this book that I'm thrilled to see a sequel is being written. I love that review. I love that review. <laughs> That's a very yeah. good review. <laughs> I love it. It is interesting because I, of I mean, it takes me a year to write a book. Yeah. So, and it takes me many months of research before I even start typing away. Um, I started this book, Damselfly, 
long before anyone ever heard the word COVID or coronavirus. So it, it's odd that what I wrote about is pretty much what we've been living. And it, it's um, after I finished uh, Sophie's Lies, I, before I finished actually, I started looking around at other small towns in Michigan to see what, what kind of uh, history would draw me again. You know, that because they all have to draw me somehow with um, a fascinating background. And Pear Cheney, which is the little town in, in Damselfly, Pear Cheney had a fascinating history. I mean, it was, it was just a piece of property that belonged to the Potawatomi Indians. It, it, there was nothing there besides trees. And of course, the railroad wanted to go through, they wanted a depot there. So they got this man named George Cheney to put a little depot and build a little town. That was in 1873. In three years, he had a hotel and, and mills and a doctor and a school, 1500 people in a very short period of time. Three years later, 19 people. What happened? Well, they aren't sure whether it was the curse of an unwed mother that killed the town or the curse from the Potawatomi Indians from whom the land was stolen. So I wove my characters in and around all that fascinating information and there was there was quite a bit of, of information to find about the people who lived in the town. So that added to my story. And I was telling a friend of mine, this story writes itself because it's fascinating. Of course, all my, my characters are from my imagination other than George Cheney, who was real. You know, so I, I have to tell you, I am going to, and this is the wonderful part of, be of being an indie writer, Mm -hmm. I don't think Damselfly says it all. I'm going to change the title. Oh, you're going to change the title. The, the cover and everything is perfect. It was done by an artist that I just adore. I think she's talented. But it needs to say Curse of the Damselfly. Oh, yes. Absolutely. That yes. just draws you right in. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it needs to say that. So... Before I order any more books, I am going to change that title. It's in the it's in the works this week. So, oh, this week you're working on it. How did you do your historical research for this piece or for any of your books? Some of the towns, like the Idlewild series, uh, I knew about. And if you know Reed City, you know mm -hmm. Idlewild because it you can toss a stone and hit it. Mm -hmm. And my mother, who is 95 told us about Idlewild. I knew about it was when I was in school in Reed City. You know, we'd all heard about Idlewild. It had a, a reputation. And uh, it's the same kind of situation as with Damselfly. I was looking around when I finished the Family Saga series and went, what's another fascinating town? It was a toss up between Idlewild, which has an unbelievable history and Albion, Michigan, which also has 
a, a fascinating history. But I chose Idlewild because it was so close to where I grew up off and on, <laughs> sort of. So how do I, I just start researching. I start looking around on the computer. I start talking to people. You know, when you go to shows and do book signings, mm-hmm. people, are, people are the best at giving you direction where to go mm-hmm. next. Oh, yeah. I, have a, I have a list okay. <laughs> yeah. of places and they want me to go up into the UP and pick a couple of places at, in the Upper Peninsula too. Are you gonna do that? I probably will. I'm kind of moving in that direction. The sequel to Damselfly, which is Beyond the Crooked Tree. That's I rarely title anything, but this just came out and grabbed me and it has to be Beyond the Crooked Tree because the Odawa Indians used these crooked trees to give information to the rest of their tribes. And that is up by Harbor Springs, uh, Traverse City area and North even further north, Cross Village. Okay. Crooked trees are still there. So that's your next step in this yep. evolution. Yes. Wow, that is fascinating. What do you feel you did right with this book? And what would you have done differently? Or different? With either the book or the main characters. And obviously we touched on the title. Which right. very often with the That's track. a main one. Yep, that's a main one. Um, what did I do right? Well, one of the things that I think is uh, appropriate in here is when the young man comes back into the picture after being gone for a long time. Mm-hmm. And Jesse, who is the damselfly, has given birth to an unwed, you know, being unwed. Okay. She doesn't fall over, fall down and, you know, thank God you're home. No, she's a little, she's been through a tough time. Mm-hmm. And she is saying, I'm not who I was when you left here. And I think that the tendency in a lot of these kinds of stories is to, for the woman to um, feel like she's being rescued. And Jesse doesn't. She is saying, I'm not who I was, and neither are you, and this relationship isn't what it was. So we need to take a step back (laughs) and figure this out. So I think that's a good thing. I like that. I like that. (laughs) I do like that. Yeah. What would I do different? What would I do different? I don't know, because they all morph during the writing. You know how it is. Yeah. Your characters grow and change. Change, evolve. Evolve. And they should, because they're real people. Well. Yes. (laughs) Yes. They're like us. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they should change. I don't know that I would do anything different other than the title. And what do you feel was the hardest part to write and the easiest part to write? I want to use I want to use the one I'm working on now, if that's okay with you. That the sequel to Damselfly. Mm-hmm, that's fine. Is that okay? Because mm-hmm. there are some parts that are really 
difficult to do. And there are parts that just go. They just sail. When a young girl is taken by one of the Odawa Native Americans, she's this timid little girl. And she blossoms as mm -hmm. she is his captive. And all of the scenes that I write with her, Prudence, and mm -hmm. Ahanu, who is the Odawa Indian, just they they unfold in such an organic natural way that it, it's such a pleasure to write okay what i have difficulty writing in this sequel mm -hmm. and and i don't know why maybe i'm not doing something right i don't know we'll see i have difficulty coming to terms with the relationship between jesse and jack oh. the father of the baby i I'm struggling with that. I know where I want it to be at the end, but I'm not quite sure I'm getting there right. It will be when I'm all done, but. <laughs> okay, all right. right. Right now it's a struggle. Okay, I, I encountered that too. That really? I know the, yes, that I know the end, the destiny, but I'm at this crossroads, you know, which route to take. Right, so I will right. always draw it out. Should I take this or this? Yes or no? Yeah, mm -hmm. it then happens. I feel for you. <laughs> it takes time to figure that out. No, you. <laughs> <laughs> what are the major takeaways from your book, Damselfly? There, that coveting is dangerous. Coveting and jealousy taint not just the person who covets, but everything around, around, around them. To me, that's what Damselfly says, you know, in, in a bigger way, in a more global way, other than the smaller things. But covetousness kills. Yes, I agree 100%. What sets you apart from other authors in this genre, in the historical fiction? What do you feel sets you apart from a lot of other authors? Well, I don't rely heavily on um, history book type of relating of history. It is, it is more woven into the fabric of their daily lives. Okay. When I give information about doing the wash, like in the, in the family saga series, um, I, had to, I had to look it up, you know, how, how did they do the laundry? You know, how, how, when, they, when she got a new washing machine because she, she mm -hmm. did laundry for the lumber camps, you know, how did it work? <laughs> so, you're, you're getting a lot of historical information in, in a real um, easy, readable way. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not giving history, uh, two lines of history book facts. Okay, all right. So you're bringing it alive, the yeah. history, bringing it up. And the characters, I think. I've been told that the characters in my work uh, are hard to hard to let go, so they really come alive to the to the readers. 
So how do, that's my major question. How do you know when to stop the research? Because it can drag you down this rabbit hole, like one thing leads to another and then leads to another and deeper and deeper and deeper. How do you know when to cut it off? So you get something done. I've encountered this, this has been my problem and a problem of many other authors who attempt historical fiction before, I guess, before they get comfortable with it. You know, they keep on researching and researching just like other authors I learned, mm -hmm. uh, just are researching how to, for example, write a screenplay. And I told my friend, well, at some point you gotta stop or you're not, um, you're not gonna get that screenplay done. So how do you know when to stop in your historical research? It was difficult in the, in the Idlewild series. Mm -hmm. And the reason that it was difficult for that, learning about Idlewild, at, at how it grew, how it started, how, and you know, through, through World War One and Spanish influenza mm -hmm. and all the things that impacted the start of this African-American resort. You know, that was, I, I've done that research. I, I know that research. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to do that. But what, what bothered me with the research for Idlewild was that I didn't know enough about Michigan racial injustice. And I, I had my eyes opened wide during that research. I found out things that I had no clue about. You know, we're talking, the news is talking about it all the time now. We don't teach it in, in the schools. Yeah. So I, ne I never knew that we had a thing called Black Legion in Michigan and Ohio and Indiana. And it, and it was there to protect the KKK. You know, I, never heard knew, of it. Who, who knew that Michigan was guilty never of, heard of it? I know it's I had. Amazing. But with the Idlewild series, I had to make myself stop researching and mm -hmm. just get, get to the writing. I already knew enough to be able to portray the growth of, of Idlewild um, as a resort. I didn't want to go into its busiest times. That mm -hmm. wasn't what my interest, what my interest was in when it started the first 20, 25 years of the African-American resort. So that was a little difficult. So when you're writing your historical fiction, um, you have to be like in that, transform yourself into that specific era and not be present. Like I've heard that from other historical fiction authors, they don't even watch TV. So they're not impacted by the current news. Do you feel like that too? Or you don't have a problem with that? I, you can separate. Yeah. Yeah. I can't listen to music when I write. Mm -hmm. I have to have everything gone. I work upstairs in my house, you know, with a, with a window to look outside if, if I need pausing time, but I have no interruptions, no music, nothing, because I need to be in the time frame and in the moment. Mm -hmm. Sadly enough, I, <laughs> you could laugh and say, I never really come out of that time period because I write pretty much all my books are the same time frame, except for so Sophie's Lies. And that was a different situation, totally. 
Um, but they're all from about 1880 up to 1920, 30, 30, 35, in that time frame. So it makes my research easier. Oh, and it, that isn't the reason that I do it. I do it because I love that time period. I probably am a product of that time period and don't even know it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Okay. All right. So you published this book during the pandemic. Share with our listeners, how did the publishing go and including the book launch? How was it affected by the COVID quarantine and not having personal author touch with your fans and your followers? I'm, I'm sad to tell you that my last two books haven't been launched. Sophie's Lies, we had to cancel the launch for Sophie's Lies. It was all scheduled, ready to go for, for May. And then March stopped everything. So Sophie hasn't ever been launched and Damselfly has not been launched. Um, I've gone to two book signings, but it never really had a launch. And I, I don't know quite how to handle that, I think, what I may do is launch Damselfly, Sophie's Lies, and Beyond the Crooked Tree in one big bash, one big launch. Okay, sometime this summer or? No, I won't be ready this summer mm -hmm. to do that. And I, I want to plan it right. And I want it to be um, enough of a splash that it, it makes up to Sophie's lies. I feel like I haven't done them justice. Right, absolutely. Uh, and to damselfly. So th there's this uh, little town of Chase um, over by Baldwin on US 10. Yes, I know Chase. Well, they are the most wonderful people and the, the little tiny schoolhouse library there oh. always give me a wonderful launch to whatever book that I have there. And mm -hmm. I have such a, a wonderful group of people who attend the launches yeah. from quite a distance away. Whoa. Um, Let me know when you have a specific date. I would <laughs> love to come to that. Oh, I will. I will definitely let you know. Okay. So would you like to read to us, Julie, from the Amplified? Sure. I have just a little piece and it's not from the beginning. It's uh -huh. close to the end of the book. Um, you can set it up if you wish. It's up to you. I prefer not to. Okay. Because I don't want to give anything away, but this is a fun little uh, piece that is and telling you that it's at the end of the book says something, so. Okay, all right. You have a cow named Princess? Milos tried not to look embarrassed, but couldn't pull it off. His ruddy cheeks grew darker and he ruffled his mass of salt and pepper hair. It hung on his shoulders now and was the frequent object of Bert's jests. I don't, my daughter does. One of Bert's eyebrows rose. Okay, my chief. Esther probably has some empty crates left at the store. Milos scanned the list, noting they'd have all the food they'd need, but two wagons didn't seem to be enough for 12 people and supplies. And he said so, even if one is a baby. Well, 
We don't have a third except for your pony cart, and we'll take that. You can drive it and get in and out of it easily. We'll have to get one, Bert, and two oxen instead of horses for the heaviest wagon. Maybe from Samuel's stable. Or what about wagons left at the camp? Are there any? Don't know. We'll go tonight to the mill, tomorrow to the camp. They rode out to the sawmill when the moon rose, and Milos insisted he was going along, not Esther. They took Hazel in the pony cart, since she could get there and back in total darkness, and Bert rode shotgun, literally, while Milos held the reins and let Hazel do the work. George didn't rouse easily, and Bert was glad the man never locked his door. When no one answered his knock, he lifted the latch and walked in kicked the bed with his booted foot a couple of times and told him to get up. You're opening for business tonight, Chaney. Let's get to the mill. You've got an order for 18 covered wagon bows or the wood to make them. Nope, make that 20 in case one or two break. What the hell, he said, rubbing his eyes and then his bald head. Get up, put your pants on. You look like a little girl in your nightdress. They drove to the mill with him in the cart, grumbling all the way. He fumbled with the key, but eventually unlocked the doors and led them to stacks of narrowly planed lengths of hardwood. By the way, George, got an extra wagon? We need one more because we'll be carrying your hurt son and he needs a traveling bed. Jack's leaving? Of course, Milos said, checking out the lumber. Did you think you could run Jesse and me off and he would stay? You don't know your own son, and these staves will do just fine. I can plane them down further and soak them in the stream. The door opened with a creak, and all three men whirled around, startled. They closed it behind them and, and been careful of the light in the windows, not wanting to alert the town. Moments of nervous silence later, a gun barrel poked through and then a boot. What's going on here, Jake asked when he came through the door. What are you doing here in the middle of the night? What are you up to? Concern streaked across his face. The day's bad business had had his nerves rattled. Glad to see you, Jake, Milos said, surprising the man. Jake hadn't noticed him hidden behind a stack of lumber. Now he saw the gun in his hand and he blanched and swallowed. You too, Milos. It's been a while. Why are you out here in the dark of night? Because it seems we're not too welcome during the daylight hours. Milos wasn't inclined to be overly friendly, but backtracked when he thought of the shelves and bins at Jake's. He could use some bow clips and few other repair supplies. He, he, he explained their needs and got an invitation to the hardware store. Now, in the dark, Jake said with a hopeful smirk. He had no desire for others to know he was helping out the Juhas family. And I do have a wagon I can spare, George said, for Jack. Even a couple oxen I don't use anymore since the town up and died. He flinched, hearing his vindictive words and glanced sideways at the men to see if they thought he was accusing them of killing the town. He wasn't. It was Jesse's fault, not theirs. Where? Bert said, eager to get everything and go. I'll bat. I'll go with George and you go with Jake, Bert said. It'll be faster. Milos shook his head and set the revolver in his lap. We stay together. I don't trust a single damn man anymore. He looked up at Bert. Except you, buddy. Jake's head hung in regret. He hadn't wanted to be part of the mob, accusing Jesse and casting her out of town. He'd been forced. But some truths settle like black bile in the stomach and sicken you. I am sorry, Milos. You can show us your sorrow by leading us on a trip to the hardware, real quiet-like.
Thank you. Very nice. You're welcome. Yes. So where can people find you this summer or fall in person? In person. Um, cold water in next weekend. Grayling in, you know what? I should have had the dates. I don't know, but I am going to put them on my website and on my historical fiction page. Okay, what is your website? Can you give us your website? Yes, it is HTTP uh, Julie and juliesisong.com. You'd think I'd know that by now. Julie <laughs> <laughs> your last name, Sisong. <laughs> it's pronounced Sisong. All right. Sisong, right. Okay. Well, I would like to definitely catch you in Chase. Yes, I will let you know, but I will be around. We're, I'm planning on being about 10 different places throughout the summer, and <laughs> I will put a list out. In fact, I was supposed to do that this week and just haven't gotten it done yet. Mm -hmm. but there yeah. will be a list. I need to subscribe to your newsletter. Yeah. I'm in, so I'm in the loop. Yeah, I will do that. Okay. Before we do our parting shots, I would like to thank our sponsors of the show, and that's Doc Shaman and Digital Quill Services for Writers with author Colleen Nye. Julie, can you give us your parting shot? My parting shot is, uh, let's see, it doesn't come from a gun. <laughs> You're not gonna use it? Uh, no, I, I love writing. I do it every single day and my characters become people to me and they're hard to let go. Um, People keep wanting to see Harley again. And he was back in book number one. People still call me and say, when are you going to write a book about Harley again? Because they love the characters. <laughs> so, so anything funny or interesting that has happened to you during an in-person event? <laughs> <laughs> or bizarre or out of the ordinary? <laughs> There are so many, so many. I One do that really, you will never forget. I, I do really stupid things. I, I do I do a lot of stupid things. Do you dress up as your characters or? I, I, well, I think you saw me dressing up once. Maybe you weren't at the Halloween party with Diana. I wasn't. I wasn't okay. at the Halloween party. Right. So you dressed up for that? Well, I did. And because my cats are always climbing all over me when we're doing these Zoom things, I can't believe they're not here right now. Um, I, <laughs> I, I had my hair all ratted up and, and then clipped um, kitty treats in my hair. Uh -huh. All over the place, like the, I had mice in my hair. And <laughs> mice worms. in your hair? And, yeah, worms and stuff like that. And I said, okay, throughout the, throughout the hour, you know, our hour, whoever can guess what I am as, as a Halloween costume, you know, I'll send you a book. Uh, Di Diana Jewell guessed. She guessed who yes, you were? Did. Yes, Who were you dressed yes. up as? I was so a cat annoying. tree. <laughs> you were a cat tree? <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely cannot miss that party in Chase. Right, I've got to right. put it already on my calendar. All right, fun. and here are my parting shots. Buy indie, 
Read indie and write indie. Keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair. Yay! Yay! Thank you, Julie. This was awesome. Thank, Thank you. you, Emma, very much.